Hey, welcome, podcast listener, to the Gen X Grown Up Backtrack Podcast. Today's episode, we're going to be talking about vintage board games. But before we get into that, first, I need to welcome Mo, as always. Hey, everybody. And joining us while George's still on vacation is MC Murr. Hey, Murr. Greetings. He's still on vacation, huh? He's still on vacation, yeah. Uh, he'll come back someday, yeah. I guess. <laughs> I do have one piece of fourth listener email Mike wrote in. Remember we did a backtrack on old computer games, right? Mm -hmm. Mike writes, if you could reimagine any classic video game into a modern version, what would it be and why? Mo, let's go to you first. What are your thoughts? There's one that keeps popping in my head, and I don't know if it's necessarily because it would be a better game, but just the nostalgia behind it. Mm -hmm. It'd be the original Bard's Tale. Oh, okay. I don't know if you guys ever played it, but it was like one of these typical RPG had crappy graphics, but it was like one of the first ones that kind of helped try to build a story. Your character changed over the course of the game, mm -hmm. and which I know they probably have, they do that like a million times in modern games. There's something just about that classic game that's still... Uh, wants uh, to draw me back into it again. You'd like to revisit that specific Bard's Tale universe again, but... Yeah, exactly. Murr, how about you? Well, if you want to know just how on the same wavelength we are, uh, Mo literally just took mine. The Bard's <laughs> Tale. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, it's it's a beautiful thing. Uh, the Bard's Tale was just absolutely phenomenal. If you didn't play through all three of them, I pity you. And, you know, going back to the days when games were like that format, like that mm -hmm. and old wizardry games and some of the earliest, you know, D&D &D games, too. All of that can still translate to today. If every, if anything, oh, yeah. we've ruined RPGs trying to make them hack and slashers and putting in, uh -huh. you know, overcomplicated controls, which take away from what you're supposed to really be doing, which is mm -hmm. role playing your dead gum characters. The Bard's yep. Tale did just that. You had a guild full of adventurers. If some of them died off, you could make new ones, but the goal was still the same. Dungeons to delve. The character development was awesome. The maps and everything. I mean, I loved everything about the Bard's tale i would love a new bard's tale and they're supposedly working on one and when i oh, say really? they Ooh. i can't tell you exactly who but the bard's tale 4 there is a website out there i don't know why this one fact about it sticks in my head so much is that you know your bard you play music for different effects like you could do something that's going to protect you know whatever yes. And they had a different song for everyone <laughs> they sure did and something about that detail was like that's pretty damn cool, especially back then, because, you know, storage was at a premium. Right, yeah, of course. But somehow they managed that, you know, every time you did if you did something that's going to increase your defense, it had a different song. It was just cool that it just that they thought about that. How about you, John? Mine is easy. Mine is totally easy. If I could take a classic game and turn it into something modern that is easy to play online multiplayer, I would totally pick Mule. Oh, M-U-L-E, yeah. the multiple use labor element. <laughs> I don't think I could possibly love that game anymore. There is an online version of Mule that you can kind of sort of play. Yeah, it's not that good though. It, it's a retread. It's like we're going to take exactly what Mule is and try to make it multiplayer. Uh, I think what Mike is asking is what something I've always envisioned would be cool is someone take the mechanics of Mule and turn it into a modern game that you can play multiplayer online. Mm -hmm. In its essence, which is a great transition, we're about to talk about board games. It's kind of a big board game. You're taking turns, you're populating, you're creating resources. But is that is that real-time auction and screw your neighbor kind of factor in Mule that I think would make it such an amazing online multiplayer game if you just extrapolated it, took it to the nth degree. So for me, Mule would be it. Yeah, that's All a good right. idea. Mike, thanks for writing in. We always appreciate when the fourth listener takes time to email us. We love reading your questions and answering you here on the show. I'm Mr. Bucket. Toss your balls in my top. I'm Mr. Bucket. Out of my mouth, I will pop. I'm Mr. Bucket. We're all gonna run. I'm Mr. Bucket. 
Our topic for this backtrack is vintage board games. Now we had a backtrack early on where we talked about Monopoly, which is kind of like the pinnacle of board games for some people. <laughs> there are so many more board games that I remember growing up. Some of them you can still get, some of them that are totally gone, just the memories around them. And uh, Mur, this was kind of your suggestion to talk about vintage board games. Mo and I loved the idea. Mm -hmm. Tell us a little bit about what vintage board games meant to you growing up as a kid. Well, at the time, we didn't really know what we had because you just assume those true? things will always be there and you don't look forward to the day when maybe your mom will sell them off for a buck at your yard sale. And <laughs> Oh, yeah. <laughs> and when that happens, you don't even care. But 20 years later, you're like, Dad, gum it. And then you're on eBay and it's 100 bucks and you can't have it. And it's just the worst thing ever. So in a nutshell, that's what it means to me. It's a final event appreciation for something that you realize you didn't do enough of in the day that you actually had it in your possession. You don't know what you got till it's gone. Yeah, or just say that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. In general, I think one thing I see as a trend, which I think is good, is the kind of like the coming back of tabletop games. Sure. Mm -hmm. Because there's a lot of publicity and their game really sophisticated, but really fun. But it's that whole social aspect behind a board game, too. You're around the table in the company of other people. That probably went away at some point for a little while, whereas now we have actual board board game cafes where you can go in yeah. and drink yeah, we and do. eat and rent yeah. a board game and play with people and that actually is a booming business so uh, i mean yeah, yeah. It's, it's definitely had a resurgence and the fact that that's on the rise is really encouraging yeah too. i think so too i mean the games are just getting so creative too looking at the classic ones though too i mean that's my memories of not so much that the game was necessarily a great game or a good game it was more just i played this with my brothers or i played this with my friends and, and sure. that's the thoughts that come to my head yeah there were a bajillion of just kind of cash grab games on every franchise right you oh, got your God. your monsters your waltons your happy days your barney miller your charlie's mm. angel and it had nothing to do maybe with the franchise it was yeah. Just, well, all right. Well, the piece is going to look like Herman Munster and you're right. going to roll a die and you're going to work your way around it. And the object is to get home or something. It didn't have anything to do sometimes with the game. And before I dog on those completely, I do have a $6 million man board game and it's just like that. And you take it out of my cold, dead hands. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Just because it's that kind of uninspired game. Again, I remember getting it for Christmas one year and it went away, like you said, Murr, in some yard sale. And I'm like, it wasn't until it was long gone that I realized, where the hell is my $6 million man game? That's been gone for 20 years. Like, shit, I need that back. <laughs> but you also, I mean, remember like some of those, especially the cash grab games, they weren't very good. No. You played them once and then you'd be like, wow, this is kind of boring or stupid or... Because they just came up with whatever they could to somehow make it fit whatever theme they wanted it to, you know? It was like a skin on a random game. It was a skin. Yeah, the key word there and you used it was uninspired. Many of these mm -hmm. games were simply you start on a yellow dot and you roll dice to get numbers <laughs> until you end up on a red dot and then it's over. It's like Candyland Plus, you know? <laughs> exactly. And most of them, it was just that. It, and it had right. nothing to do with it. I actually have a 1960s edition of the Uncle Wiggly game, you know, the old rabbit with the cane walking around. Uh -huh, yeah, and yeah. Uh, it takes like three hours to complete because there's literally 200 and something spaces on the board, all of which do nothing. <laughs> Every card says go forward three spaces or go back four spaces or go up eight spaces or go back three spaces. You're in an asylum by the time you finish this game. It, it could not be more pointless. The attraction is just that you are Uncle Wiggly moving around the board, but you not are a random Uncle pond, Wiggly right? trying to get back to your old bungalow or whatever and you know there'll be a fun little poem on every card you know 
you just fell down and broke your knee. It really sucks, so go back three. You know, it's like, oh, Jesus <laughs> Christ, okay. It's all pure luck, right? It's just all by dice roll. Yes. Right? There's no thinking, no strategy, nothing. Just who could roll better. Now, they didn't all have to be uninspired, though. No, 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 no. There were some that were very good. A big part of the reason we wanted to do this backtrack is because there are some amazing ones that were inspired. Some of them you can't even get anymore. That's right. They're like the uber classics that are still around, right, Mo? They're like oh, yeah. what, your risk, your life, Monopoly, things like that. And they don't they don't go away. No. The ones that stood the test of time stood it for a reason. I mean, I remember playing the game of life. I don't know why, but we played it a lot in my grandmother's house, probably because it was the only game she had there. And then playing things like Risk. I mean, I was playing that up through college where we had these big Risk games that we play and go on for all hours because you know that game is another one that could take forever biggest part of risk that's another screw your neighbor thing yeah it's like you you will not take africa i'm, you know, <laughs> I'm gonna take it just because yeah, yeah. <laughs> just, just because i can't taking it you only have like two armies left but i'm gonna leave them there to suffer <laughs> there are a handful of very rare board games out there that were published by tsr which, if you remember, is who published Dungeons yeah, the D&D and Dragons. People. Yes. Yep. That being why these are so collectible and hard to find now. And one of Rest which, in peace, Gary Gygax. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. Uh, one of which was one of our family favorites. Is one of those that we just happened to pick up then, but is very difficult to find now. TSR's Elixir. A wacky wizard's race to brew crazy potions. So you've got this board game. You've got four different wizards, which are the players. They each have their respective labs where you can keep the stuff that you find, your ingredients, your gems. And it's important whether or not that stuff's on your person or not. Because when you're moving around the board, you can be jumped by strangers in the alleys. Or again, back to the screw your neighbor thing, you can pay some of those strangers to go knock off the other wizards to give yourself an edge. That's cool. That's always fun. Yeah, you're trying to (laughs) brew the elixir of life so that your old wizard can live forever. But it's one that, again, got out of my hands and I eventually Mm -hmm. was lucky enough to get for 30 bucks on eBay for someone that listed it as a buy it now and not an auction. Didn't know what they had. At the time, it was bringing about $160 to $200. Wow. Fabulous game if you can get a hold of it and again anything made by tsr that wasn't the only one they made that was really fun but it was the favorite of mine out of the batch cool wow. i have to look for that one i have one like that that we've got to talk about talking about old board games this is one that i never had it was jealous a buddy of mine had called dark tower you remember this thing that sounds familiar i haven't played it but i bet you i'd remember if i saw it oh so let me describe dark tower you have a quest where you have to work your way around the board the thing i loved about it is it had this electrical dark tower that stood in the middle of the board and the computer is what you played the game on and if you had to fight it would tell you how many brigands you had left and how many soldiers you had left When you crossed into a new area or you moved into a new step or you went to a dungeon, the computer would tell you what happened. And the computer was rudimentary. It was a glorified calculator. Inside the tower were these three light bulbs and a cylindrical transparency. And it would turn a little motor around and a light would come on. (laughs) You've encountered something. Or you start haggling with the shopkeeper over provisions and you would haggle, go down a little lower. You know, he would go, because he shut the door on you. Or you would run into a dragon and it would go, like the dragon. It was so computery noise. <laughs> this thing, it goes for, oh, I don't know, three, four hundred dollars now. Complete that, yeah. If you can oh, find wow. it. Wow. Unbelievable. And I don't have one. 
I, I wish I did. I keep looking. I keep running into them. And somebody has it. It's mostly complete. It's only 250 And in my mind, I keep thinking, yeah, I'll spend 300 bucks on this. But in the back of my head, I'm like, do I really want to play it again? Or is it just going to be an old game that I remembered fondly and it's not that good? Could go either way. It could. It's, I've not yet to buy one. The good news is they put out an Android app that I think is called Droid Tower. Oh, really? Where you can play the entire game on your Android or the tough thing to get is a working tower because this thing is ages old your android phone or tablet or whatever can just be the tower it just runs the software if you have a physical board and i'm thinking that might be the direction i'll go where i'll just have a tablet that is my tower but i want to play the game the physical game again yeah but come on you want the tower well, i kind of want the tower <laughs> you may not 300 dollars want the tower well for, frankly my android tablet probably costs as much as that tower but that's not the point the point is <laughs> but i remember playing many a many a hour with my buddy it only was published for about a year they were sued over the intellectual property oh because of the disney movie or something no 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 i think it was milton bradley put it out someone had come to them with the idea they declined it and then came out with a suspiciously similar game to what this guy had pitched them but legally different <laughs> in litigation they ended up discontinuing it so it's only like published for a year that's why they're so rare and hard to get a hold of but so good it's in that same kind of D plundering and traveling across the landscape and going to the bazaar and i remember it so fondly so cool wow. Wow, that's awesome i had to find three keys lay siege to the tower and defeat the enemy within each move was a challenge the computer kept track, giving me secret information, pictures, sounds, surprises, and I was victorious. I don't know if you guys ever played these games, but you guys know who Steve Jackson is, right? Absolutely. Yeah, he's the Munchkin guy now, right? right? Yep, he did Munchkin. He did a lot of like uh, role-playing sort of games back in the day. Yep, way going back, he started off, and this is where I kind of got introduced to him back in the 80s, was he had these things called pocket games. Hmm. It came in a little plastic clamshell kind of thing, real small though, like the size of a pamphlet. Okay. You opened up and there was a game board and a, like a thousand pieces probably, because these things <laughs> all had like millions of little tiny cardboard pieces. Me and my friends would just play these things endlessly. One of those called Jev, and it's all this hexagon map on the board you had basically this hovercraft armored thing and you could move it and if it's on a road you could move an extra piece and back then how they managed like surprise was that your, your friend would set up the defenses but he would have like dummy tokens that were blank so you didn't know which ones were actual enemies or which one was just blank and nothing was there and they think you're gonna play this in a car with a million little pieces lost in the seat no you didn't play them in the car no 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 okay okay you definitely played these like at a friend's house kind of thing oh, okay they were just pocket because they're portable not like right like pocket because the they were small like just little tiny oh, okay things. that's what i imagined <laughs> tons okay. of fun and plus like i said they were cheap too i mean back then you could probably pick up one of those for like five six bucks do you have any of these mo i have car wars do you okay steve jackson still sells it that's when we're like mad maxish kind of thing it's the future yeah. and people on cars and they basically have their cars and now like it's funny the backstory is like you know in the future all road laws go away and da, 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 da. <laughs> so yeah, i played car wars on the atari computer because steve jackson's car wars got translated to that and that was a fun big open world it was actually called auto duel on the computer oh yes, but yes. it was based on car wars yep there was one that i played that i don't know if it counts as a board game but by god i'm gonna count it. It was called Don't Break the Ice. I remember that one. It was like this little board on these four little feet mm -hmm. and these little white kind of ice cubey things you wedged in there. But and there was one which ones were going to make the whole thing collapse, right? And there's one little guy sitting on an ice cube and the, it was kind of like horizontal Jenga. You had a little hammer and you had to knock these ice blocks out. You guys remember this at all? Oh, yes, I do. Yeah. Yeah, the little tiny hammer. Yeah, yeah. I used to play that by myself. It was just fun because you're playing with physics kind of. You're like, well, where's the stress point and how many blocks can I get out? I don't remember the point even. I just remember it being almost a toy. It was such a cool concept for a game. 
I don't know if that's still out or not. Oh, it's totally still out. And the is reason it really? I can tell you that it's still out is because, I mean, yeah, it existed back in the day, but we ended up with one for Molly to play with when she was very little, and it was, okay, Daddy, set the ice cubes back up again. Oh, my God. <laughs> I got to where I hated Don't Break the Ice. I mean, I cherish the memories now, but it was like, okay, Daddy, let's play a 17th time. Put the ice cubes back in. I was like, oh, my God, I don't want to put the ice cubes back in again. <laughs> Is there an electronic version you hit a button and it just resets the ice cubes or something? If they did, it would revolutionize it and it would experience a resurgence the likes of which no one has ever seen before. You always would feel guilty because you're like, oh, do I really give this thing a wallop and take 15 cubes out so we can stop? But it's like, but then that's just going to get me back to the point where I have to reload the cubes again quicker. I don't want to get back to that point again that quickly. And oh, man. No, I cherish the memories now, but God, it's like, can we just go play something else? I don't want to load the cubes again. Oh, so speaking of game you had to set up. What about, you remember Mousetrap? I try not to. Oh, yeah. How many people actually played the game? <laughs> nope. I never I did. Never I, played I never played that. I never got that far. <laughs> Me neither. I set it up. I played with Mousetrap. Yes. <laughs> that I did a lot. Yeah, it's like a big Rube Goldberg machine. It's got to be like a huge, like a guy thought, let's make a Rube Goldberg toy. And they're like, well, it's not enough. I know. Let's put a board game at the bottom. Right. Okay, so what's the purpose of the game? Well, if you don't land on the right squares, it'll never work. <laughs> so essentially, right? And the whole concept, I mean, I remember reading it. I think the idea is basically when the Rube Goldberg machine goes off, that's you lose. It's something like that, yeah. Like if your mouse is in the wrong spot or whatever, because basically it's this entire contraption is supposed to sit stagnant for the whole game. Until the end. Yeah, until the end. You had the marble in the bathtub and the wheel and the net. I, and I knew oh, hundreds God. of kids that had mousetrap. I knew zero kids that knew where all the pieces were. <laughs> so the game was just flawed in the sense that human nature would not allow for this game to exist in perpetuity. It would be cool if they could somehow come up with a modern version that you could make one of these Rube Goldberg machines and have it do that kind of stuff. Because, I, I mean, I think as a kid, I mean, that's the part, though, I like the physics behind it, right? Like, you do this and the cause and effect. That's a good point. The game ought to be building the machine. Yeah, quite right, exactly. That was the part that was the most enjoyable. You can right. actually put the game you know, together like, and you your win. goal is catch the mouse at the end, you win, right? Sure. Mouse trouble? Then you need mouse trap. Mouse trap? I guarantee it's the craziest trap you'll ever see. The first to capture everyone else's mouse is the winner. Just turn the crank and snap the plank and boot the marble right down the chute. Now watch it roll and hit the pole and knock the ball in the rubber up top. Mo, before we were talking a little bit before the show and you had mentioned some card games they classify as long as they're not a standard hoyle deck there were a lot of really cool games that were in a box had a custom set of cards oh yeah one that i really remember and i gotta know where it is i think maybe you can still get it there was this amazing game called waterworks that ring a bell for anyone no you had these cards and you're on one end you have like a water spigot and on the other end you have a water faucet and in the interim you're trying to lay down cards that are pipes and they're all lead pipes, super healthy. Yeah. And periodically, you could play a leak on someone and their pipe would leak. There's these little metal wrenches you could put on a leak, or you could play a copper pipe, which couldn't leak. And then the goal was to play cards to make a pipe go from point A to point B with X number of cards between them. Yeah, I haven't seen but that there one. There are other really cool card games that are from our childhood. What else? I mean, there's some classic ones like Uno, of course, right? That's still played today pretty heavily. Oh, that's enormous. Sure. Yeah, I guess it's a kind of a card game, but it was called Ace of Aces, and you bought a deck that had basically your biplane stats in it. And it's kind of hard to explain, but each card was a different perspective of you viewing the other airplane that you're fighting. Hmm. And so how it would work is that you would look at your card and to have all the movements you could do, turn left, turn right, die, 
five, bank. Under that would be a number. And then he would look at his cards, find a number. Those two numbers together told you what's the next card to look at. So in other words, it shows you the result of the two moves. So this is like like a card game dogfight kind of? Yeah, exactly. It was what it was. Oh, wow. Huh. Of course, your goal is to get behind the other person. Because once you're behind, then you see the shoot, the gunshots and that kind of stuff. And if like three hits, wins, that kind of thing. I don't know how they work this whole thing out. But you can mix and match different airplanes and stuff. So it wasn't like you could just have one set and it only worked with this deck and this deck. And they have different characteristics. The one thing I liked about as a kid is that it was a game I could play with a friend over the phone. <laughs> because all you care Good about point. is your deck. Because that's your perspective of the fight. I picture Mo sitting there on his corded phone with a yes. coiled wire <laughs> running to the table. Yep. All knotted up all the way up. <laughs> playing with your buddy across town because you couldn't get a ride to his house. Exactly. Nope. That one's a new one to me. So about 1988... Milton Bradley put out a Legend of Zelda board game. And at a glance, you can assume this is just another point A to point B game with a Zelda skin on it. But it did go... Sounds like a cash grab. It did go a little (laughs) deeper than that. And that's why it's sought after today. I really don't believe that the name Zelda itself would make it as valuable as it is today. It actually was super playable and super fun. There was about six different areas to explore on the board, and you couldn't move on to the next one till you found the Zelda item for that area. Like in the water area, you would have to find the raft, and then you could move on to the next one, for example. Something like that. Okay. You would have uh-huh. tiles instead of cards laid down. When you land on the appropriate space, you have to turn over a tile. If it's not the item, it will be a Zelda monster, which would be native to that region in the game, and you would have to battle it with the battle dice included. Whereas your Link could lose hearts during the battle, or you could defeat the monster and move on. But either way, there was a chance that you could die on your journey to the end there. So you're trying to get to the last area in which all the tiles are Ganon, by the way, and are super overpowered, <laughs> and to find the Triforce and finish the game. Last I checked, was going for over about 100 bucks. Wow. It's like a lot more thought was put into that than, like you said, than just a cash grab. I mean, like every card is themed. It, and yeah. It's almost as if, as they designed the board, they actually said it's not just a skin on a regular game as you describe it it's like they took the zelda game and really kind of morphed put it, it into on a board, board it was it really was based on nes zelda you could tell whoever made this really did play and enjoy the game one of those games that again lost to the ages i'm sure it got sold at a yard sale one of the many times we moved as kids i no longer have it but i know my sister and i yeah. both remember it fondly and remember playing a lot of it and I would love to get it back. That's one I have not seen in the wild. A lot of these we've talked about are, you know, anywhere from amazing to play to cash grab garbage. But kind of the point is that we remember them so fondly because we played them, as Mo, you said, we played them with our best friends. We played them with our family. And it's really encouraging now to see, Mur, you pointed out the fact that we have these game bars where people go and they rent a board game and they sit down across the table from each other. And I think... That's really just, it, not only is it enheartening for me to see that coming back, but it validates what it is that I loved about it to show that that's right. not dead. There's still value in sitting across the table, picking up a physical die, rolling it, let it fall off the table. Who cares? That's fine. It's all part of the mechanics and the joy of playing that real tactile board game. The person you're playing against is right there. And you get to hear their yep. moans when you beat them. Or whatever. You're going to play that card again? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. All that plays into it. So it's been fantastic kind of reminiscing about this. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Love comic books? Then check out Parlapod, the podcast for diehard fans. 
We've got interviews. Hi, this is Kelly Jones. Hi, everybody. This is John Semper. This is Ming Chen. Hey, this is Tim Seeley. Hey, folks. This is Brian O'Halloran. Hey, what up? This is Jason Mewes, and you're listening to Parlapod.com comic book podcast. Snooch to the news. Reviews. These covers are, are blowing me away. Oh, so Concept is just too darn good. I wish they had done a better job with it. And all the comic book news you need to know about. Mark Strong is in talks to play the villain, Dr. Savant. All in, man. He was a great Sinestro, too. Available on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, YouTube, Google Play, and it's always free to download. Follow us on social media, at Parlapod. Fresh episodes every Wednesday morning, just in time for your trip to the local comic book store. Parlapod, we are your source for everything comic book related. Give us a listen today. So many cool things we talked about in this episode. Great board games, great card games, great cash grab games, whatever they are. That might be a long list of show notes, but Hell we'll yeah. do our best. We'll put links down below the show where you can go and research more about these things. And as always, don't forget eBay.com if you want to relive <laughs> your childhood. Yeah, if you want dollars to spare, right? <laughs> oh yeah. yeah. And also, hey, be sure to subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app. You know, whether it's Stitcher, TuneIn, or iTunes. Yeah. Speaking of iTunes, please remember it really helps us a lot if you'll stop by iTunes and you'll give us a five-star rating and give us a review. Write that review out. That's the thing that really helps other people to find us. And if you have a friend who's not listening to the Gen X Grown Up podcast yet, snatch their phone, subscribe them against their will. They'll thank you for it later. And you can always email us, of course, at podcast at genxgrownup.com. Don't forget to visit us on YouTube or on our site, which is genxgrownup.com. Yeah, and joining us for this show, of course, was MC Murr. Murr, Tell the folks how they can find your amazing content out there on the internet. Come see me on my YouTube channel, MC Murr. That's E-M-C-E-E-M-U-R. Check out all the lovely yard sale findings and scavengings. Day one game release reviews, unboxings, and of course retro game playthroughs as well. All the great things we've got going on there. Come on down. Let's talk. Love to get a conversation going with you. Love to have you. Everyone listening should absolutely be over there. Head to Murr's YouTube channel. Be sure you subscribe. Tons of great stuff. If you like Gen X growing up, you will love what he's doing as well. Guys, I had a hell of a time. Loved reminiscing about this old stuff. You bet. Mo, thanks for joining. Oh yeah, always fun. And Murr, you've added so much to our repertoire of board games that we could talk about. Thanks for taking the time to join us on the show. Hey, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me. You bet. Guys, I will talk to you next time. All right. See you next time. Take care. This has been a production of the GWW Radio Network. Please don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. Also, check out Geeks Worldwide at thegww.com for all the latest news, reviews, and opinions on video games, comics, movies, TV, cosplay, and more. Geeks Assemble! You know, a lot can happen in seven minutes, and luckily, that's how long it takes me to tell a story. My name is Aaron Calafato, and I'm the creator of 7-Minute Stories. I'm proud to partner with Evergreen Podcasts, and I'd like to invite you to join me on this journey. I'm going to take you on some crazy roller coaster rides using my unique extemporaneous storytelling style, and together, we're going to try to make sense of the world, all through the art of storytelling, and all in approximately 
seven minutes.